And we are really excited about the trip that we're taking this week, and we do really appreciate your prayers while we are on it. We're really excited to see what God's going to do through all of that. Uh, This morning, we are continuing our series, When Jesus Comes to Church, and just kind of wondering, you know, what would happen if Jesus were to come to TFRC, that Jesus walked into this very room, and somehow we knew for a fact it was Jesus. And as I said last week, I would envision all of us would get our phones out. Uh, We'd be taking pictures. I could imagine some of you would be asking Jesus to take a selfie uh, with you, and it would go straight on Facebook, Snapchat, something like that. Um, But what if Jesus came to our church in the flesh? And then at some point, Jesus starts talking to us, you know, and what would he say? Would he comment on current events? Would he tell us who's going to win the World Series? Would he remind us Christmas is just around the corner? What would he have to say to us? 2,000 years ago, after his death, resurrection, and ascension, Jesus appeared to the Apostle John, and he had a message for the churches. In Revelation chapters 2 and 3, Uh, Jesus has a message for seven churches, seven churches that are now in what is the country Turkey. Uh, Back then it was referred to as the province of Asia. And in this series, we are looking at the seven churches in Revelation. And again, seven being symbolic for completeness. And so really, this is a message for the entire uh, church. And we want to hear what Jesus had to say to them and what that means for us. The church in the first century, uh, those people had no real power. They had no fundamental rights. Uh, The church was marginalized in Roman society. If you uh, have your Bibles, go ahead and open Revelation chapter 2. Again, Revelation is the last book of the Bible, relatively easy to find, again, in chapter 2. And we want to hear what Jesus had to say to the church in a city called Pergamum. Um, Now, Pergamum was a city that had all sorts of temples. There was a temple to the God of healing. There was a temple to Zeus. Uh, There was a temple to the wine god. They had all sorts of temples in Pergamum. Uh, In week one of this series, we talked about the message to the church in Ephesus, the city of Ephesus. Last week, we talked about the message to the church in the city of Smyrna. And this morning, we are looking at the message to the church in the city of Pergamum. Now, those three cities, Ephesus, Smyrna, and Pergamum, they competed to be considered uh, the first city of Asia. They all wanted that title of the first city of Asia for the Roman Empire. And so each of those cities would do things to endear themselves to Rome and to Caesar. Um, All three... Um, promoted emperor worship. Pergamum would become a center for the emperor cult where they would show their devotion to Caesar by worshiping him. Our scripture reader for this morning is Jillian Kramer. And so Jillian, if you can make your way to the podium as she does, if you're able, I'm going to ask you to please stand and face the center of the room. We read from the center of the room to remind us that scripture is to be central in our lives, and we stand because we believe that this is the word of God. And so, Jillian, whenever you're ready, please read from Revelation chapter 2. To the church, excuse me, to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. 
Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin, so that they, had, they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Jillian, thank you very much. You may be seated. Uh, I'm not sure if your name uh, has any significance. Not sure if there's a reason why you are named what you are named. Um, are you named after someone, either your first name or middle name? Uh, or is there other significance behind your name? You know what I'd love for us to do, just for a second, um, well, maybe 30 to 60 seconds. What I'd love you to do for the people around you, I would just like you to share your name. Hopefully you know that. And, um, and if there's any significance, are you named after anyone? Or is there any other reason for having the name that you have, either first name or middle name? So let's just take 30 seconds, talk to the people around you, your name and any significance behind it. Go ahead and do that. Okay, sounds like you did pretty good. Sounds like you did well. Good job, everyone. Um, hey, my birthday was a couple weeks ago, as many of you know, because you sang to me. Pastor John made me come up here. Um, and another thing that happened to me for my birthday was my office got decorated. Uh, balloons, confetti, Starburst. That was okay. Starburst was good. Um, but another thing that this person did is they got a hold of an old high school photo. Uh, it was precious. And they also figured out what my middle name was. My middle name is Gilbert. And this person just loved the fact that my middle name was Gilbert. Uh, plastered on my office door was my high school picture and happy birthday, Charles Gilbert. Happy birthday, Charles Gilbert. Happy birthday, Charles Gilbert. Really loved uh, the fact that was my middle name. Over the years, I have gotten teased a little bit uh, with my middle name being Gilbert. And, um, but Gilbert, the significance of that is that was my maternal grandfather's middle name. So that was um, my mom's dad's middle name, and so I got Gilbert for my middle name. And anytime over the years that's come up in family discussion, my dad's always reminded me. He said, you know something, Charlie, you really owe me because his first name was Herman. Um, no offense to anyone if your first name is Herman, by the way, uh, but I will take the Gilbert. Gilbert, I will take. It's all good. Um, this passage in the, the letter to Pergamum, it begins and ends with a reference to names. 
And for many of us, again, our names don't necessarily mean a lot. We might be named after someone, but other than that, there's usually not a whole lot of meaning to names. But in the Bible, names are significant. In the Bible, names stand for who you are. Uh, They tell us what the purpose of that person is. It gives us an idea of what that person is going to do. Uh, For example, Moses. His name means to draw out. To draw out. And he was named that because, if you know the story, Moses was drawn out of the water as a baby by Pharaoh's daughter. And of course, Moses would go on to draw God's people out of slavery in Egypt, oddly enough, through water, the Red Sea. Moses' purpose is in his name. Uh, Joshua. Joshua means the Lord saves. And Joshua would lead the Israelites into the promised land, which is metaphor for salvation. His purpose is in his name. Uh, just interestingly enough, Jesus' name also means the Lord saves, saves us from our sins. Same name as Joshua. Um, Samuel, his name means heard of God. Samuel's mother prayed for a son and God heard her prayer. So she named him Samuel, heard of God. But throughout Samuel's life, this theme comes up again and again. When he was a boy, Samuel heard God calling him. Um, Samuel would anoint the first two kings of Israel. Saul, who was known for not listening or hearing God, and David, who was known for listening or hearing God. Samuel means heard of God. Listening and not listening to God is all a part of his life. His purpose is in his name. Um, Again, so there's names significant in the Bible, and the message to Pergamum, it talks about names. If you look in your Bibles to verse 13 of the passage we read this morning, um, where it says, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. So Jesus commends them for being true to his name. They were true to the name. And being faithful to Jesus is the same thing as being true to his name. Pergamum was a place, again, that was very loyal to Caesar. They took their allegiance to Caesar seriously. It was the center of the emperor cult. And if you did not show your loyalty to Caesar in the marketplace, or in the arena, or in the theater, or in the gymnasiums. You did not get to participate in public life. And that was a problem for the Christians in Pergamum. You see, there was a time when Jesus was once asked about paying taxes to Caesar. And Jesus responds to the question of, hey, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus responds by asking for a Roman coin. And he takes the coin and he says, well, whose picture is on this coin? And whose inscription is on this coin? And they tell him, well, it's Caesar's. And then Jesus says in Mark 12, verse 17, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. 
and they were amazed at him. See, if Caesar demands some of his money back, Jesus says, give it to him. But you only give God what is God's. You want to pay taxes to Caesar? That's fine. It's Caesar's money. Worship? Our worship, that belongs to God, not Caesar. And so when emperor worship becomes the norm, later in the first century, the Christians cannot worship Caesar because Jesus said, you give to God what is God's. And the letter mentions how someone named Antipas was put to death in the city, most likely because he wouldn't worship Caesar. He wouldn't participate in the emperor cult. And church tradition says that Antipas was appointed by the apostle John to be the leader of the church in Pergamum. And church tradition goes on to say that he was killed during the reign of Nero by being burned in a bull-shaped brazen altar. He died because he wouldn't give to Caesar what belonged to God. And I think that's a great question for us to ask, is do we give to God what belongs to God? Or are we giving things that belong to God to other things or people? You see, our worship belongs to God, and worship is all about, worship's all about our hearts. God wants our hearts. And I think it's good for us to ask from time to time, where do our hearts belong? To what do you give your heart to? Or how much of your heart have you given to God? You could even put a percentage on it. Do you give 50% of your heart to God? 90%? 25%? 2%? How much of your heart belongs to God? If Jesus were here, I could hear him say to us, be true to my name. Give me your heart. Because if Jesus has our hearts, well, then he has all of us. And just as we can be true to the name, we can also turn on the name. We can turn on the name by compromising our hearts, by what we give our hearts allegiance to by not standing for what Jesus stood for. Standing for things like grace and mercy and forgiveness, but also standing for things like obedience and repentance. If you look at verses 14 and 15 from the passage this morning, where it says, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. He references the teaching of Balaam, the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Now, somewhat to our frustration, he doesn't describe what these teachings were. He simply names them. If you hold to the teaching of Balaam, to the Nicolaitans, then you are turning on the name of Jesus. You can read about Balaam in the Old Testament book of Numbers. 
Balaam is best known, for those of you who know the story, he's best known for his talking donkey. But Balak was a king who wanted Balaam to curse the Israelites. But Balaam couldn't do it. And so Balaam suggests to Balak that if the Israelites worshipped other gods, worshipped idols, then the Israelites could lose their protection from God. And so the teaching of Balaam, referenced in this letter, must have something to do with worshipping in the temples of Pergamum. The Nicolaitans, uh, for them, they viewed the gods of the temples as nothing. The gods of the temples, whether it's Zeus or Dionysius, it doesn't matter, or even Caesar, it doesn't matter. They're not gods. They're false gods. And so the Nicolaitans, they came to a slightly different conclusion, though, than maybe we might if we were to say, well, yeah, those are false gods in the temple. They thought that because those gods of those temples weren't really gods at all, they were nothing, participating in them didn't really matter. It's not that big of a deal. So the Nicolaitans were okay with participating in the various cults because it really didn't mean anything. Now, if you have no rights or power in the first century, and this emperor cult worship kept you from participating in simple public life activities, well, these teachings would be very, very appealing. And so you had those in the church who were participating in the emperor cults and maybe some of the other temples um, in town, thinking, no, it doesn't really matter. It's really not that big of a deal. And yet, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, no one can serve two masters. Either you hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, Jesus uses the example of money, but really almost anything can become your master. What is something in your life that maybe doesn't even seem like it's that big of a deal that compromises your faith in Jesus? You know, these first century Christians, they had given up so much because they were a part of this community of faith. And if those people who were as devoted as they were, if they can turn on the name of Jesus, well, certainly so can we. What is something in your life that doesn't seem like that big of a deal, yet it compromises your faith in Jesus? The letter concludes by talking about um, getting a new name, being transformed by name. If you look at the last line of the passage, the second half of verse 17, where it says, I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. A white stone with a new name. So in essence, Jesus is giving us a new name. However, who is the only one who's going to know what the name is? Well, the one who receives the name. So Jesus is going to give a new name that no one else is going to know. What's the purpose in that? What's the purpose of a name that nobody else knows, that doesn't make any sense. But we have to go back to the biblical purposes of names. Names don't just identify. Names tell you your purpose. 
They define your character. And the good news of this passage is Jesus gives you a new character. Jesus gives you a new purpose. You ever wonder why you're here, what you're doing? Jesus has a purpose for you. When you believe in Jesus, he begins to reveal that purpose to you. Um, Many of you know and remember that the Apostle Peter's name wasn't originally Peter. What was it? Someone say it loud enough so I can hear it. Simon. Very good. Good job. That was kid section. Just want to point that out. Um, His name was Simon. And Simon tells Jesus one day, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says to Simon, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. Peter means rock. And so when Jesus gives him a new name, he gives him a new purpose. You are going to be a part of building this community of faith that's going to go out and change the world. And Peter didn't know exactly what that meant. And Peter didn't know how that would impact his future. But Peter did know that somehow this moment, something was different for him. Jesus had a purpose for him. And that purpose changed his entire life trajectory. Revelation 21.5 says, He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. I am making everything new. That includes us. We are being transformed into something different, something new. And Jesus, while we would like for him just to tell us all at once, it's not how he does it. He reveals what that means a little bit at a time. But the Bible, there's this one verse in the Bible, though, that I think gives us great guidance. Because the question would be, well, how do we know what this purpose is going to be? How are we going to find out what this new character and new purpose is all about if he's not even going to tell us? And I think a very simple biblical verse for us to practice is this one. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, whether it's in word or deed today, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Each moment of every day, we decide whether to be true to the name or to turn on the name. How much of what we do is done in the name of Jesus? Because the more that we do in the name of Jesus, the more we'll discover what his purpose is for us. He's not going to reveal it all. He's going to give us one little piece. And he's going to see if we're willing to do that one piece. Because if we're not willing to do that one piece, why would he give us another one? Do the one piece. And then he'll show you what's next. Jesus is making everything new. He gives you a new name. You may not know exactly what that means. You won't necessarily know how it's going to impact your future. But when you believe in Jesus, that moment begins a transformation. It transforms our character. It transforms our purpose. 
Jesus has given has a new name for you. Please pray with me. And Lord, we thank you for in your word it says that he who began a good work in us will be careful to carry it on to the day of completion in Christ Jesus. And Lord, I thank you for the good work you have begun in each and every person here. Lord, each and every one of us who have declared you as our Lord and our Savior. Lord, I would ask that you would give us eyes to see what it is that we could do today, whether it's something we say or something we do, that we could do in your name. Lord, help us see what that is. And then, Lord, may your spirit stir in our hearts so that we may do what it is you've placed in front of us. Lord, we thank you for your love and grace and mercy, and it's in the name of Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Receive God's blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you, and may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.